Gospel according to St. Luke, the seventh chapter. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And a woman in the city, who was a sinner, having learned that he was eating in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster jar of ointment. She stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to bathe his feet with her tears and dry them with her hair. And she continued kissing his feet and anointing them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw it, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him, that she's a sinner. Jesus spoke up and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Teacher, he replied, speak. A certain creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debts for both of them. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the greater debt. And Jesus said to him, You have judged rightly. And turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has bathed me with my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which were many, have been forgiven. Hence, she has shown great love. But the one to whom little is forgiven loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. But those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? He said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Soon afterward, he went on through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, as well as some women who had been cured of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdala, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Herod, steward Husa, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their resources. The Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated, and the children may come forward for a children's sermon. It's me. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Very good. First off, I want to say good job, Joey Mangus. You did an excellent job reading this morning. You really did. I hope I read as good as that most often. Did he do a good job reading? Yeah. I think so, too. Sorry to embarrass you, Joey. Second of all, I want to ask you a very broad theological question. What is sin? Ooh, that's a big one. Yes, Michael. Do something bad, you don't really think about God. Do something bad, don't really think about God. 
I think we're on the right track. What else? Yeah. You do something bad to your brother, like kick him, punch him, and put and touch him in a way that's not good. Yeah. Do do something that someone else wouldn't want. Yeah. I think that's part of it. What else? Yeah. not do one of the Ten Commandments. Yeah. Right, yes. Yeah, so the Ten Commandments, they give us some strict, strict guidelines for what we're supposed to do in a broad sense of life. And when we break one of those, when we, when we don't follow one of the Ten Commandments, uh, that would definitely qualify as a sin. Yeah, Jack. Um, they're supposed to be nice to each other. I think that's a very good definition, Jack. I think that's an excellent definition. You guys know uh, that rule that we hear in the Old Testament and the New? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself? That's one of the foundational rules, right? Yeah. When you listen to that rule, when you listen to God, you're on the right track. When you're not listening to that rule, when you're not listening to God, you're on the wrong track. Santa gives you coal. Yep. There's more than one implication with sin, isn't there? So here's uh, what, what God once did with King David. It was to give him a story to see if he knew what sin was. And so I'm going to give you that same story. Can everybody look at my nose? Everybody look at my nose? There you go. There once were two men. One was super rich. And he had all the sheep and all the lambs and all the cattle, everything that he could ever want. Sounds like a lot, doesn't it? Okay. There was a second man that had one lamb. And he loved that lamb. He took good care of it. He fed it every day. He gave it water. He sought after it. Everything that this lamb needed, he gave him. So, one day, the rich man, who had everything, his friends came over. And he's like, hey, we should have a party. I'll go out and I'll get a lamb and uh, we'll kill it and we'll have some really good lamb chops tonight. Sounds good, right? Well, okay, maybe you don't like lamb chops. But it's a good idea to have a party. There'll be other stuff there. Hummus, I don't know. Regardless of the menu, that man went and took not one of his own sheep, but he took the one sheep that that, that uh, other man had, and he took it for himself. He killed it and he gave it to his friends. Now, which one of these two sinned? Yes. The rich one. The rich one, right. What should his punishment be? Yes. Jail, I guess. I mean, yeah, that's a little harder, isn't it? Yes, Ava. Give one of his sheep to the other guy. Give one back. That could be good. Regardless of what it is, we all recognize that uh, where the sin is in this story. Right? Can you? Yes. What do you got, Anthony? He has another punishment. What? Half his money. That's a lot, right? Uh -huh. 
be good punishment. In any case, now that we, I see that you can recognize sin, I want to ask you about something. There's some things that we do that we know are wrong. Does God forgive us for those? Yeah. Yeah. There's some things that we do, we know they're wrong, and we just think that they're okay. What about those? We got some yeses and we got some noes. Here's what I'm going to say. God loves you. God loves you before you sin. God loves you after you sin. God loves you. But that does not mean that the sin you do, that the things wrong that we do, are good. When you're wrong and you're sorry about it, God forgives you. When you're wrong and you're not sorry about it, God holds you to account. God wants you to right that wrong. And that wrong will follow you all the way up until that moment, even past it. Does God still love you? Yes. But even in that love, just like when your parents love you, they want you to do the right thing. They'll still punish you. They'll still follow you. They'll still make sure that you're learning the right ways of right and wrong. Same with God. Same with God. Over the next few weeks, I want you guys to figure out in the moment, which is really hard to be aware of yourself, isn't it? But in the moment, as you're acting, I want you to figure out if what you're doing is right or wrong, and then I want you to figure out if you even care about it. <laughs> when you do, great. When you don't, see if your parents will tell you why you should. I bet they do. Does that sound good? I don't want you to be confused, so everybody look at my nose. Does God love you? Yes. God loves you a ton. Should you do good? Yes. yes. You should do well. And do good. Should we pray? Yeah. Yeah. Let us pray. God, we give you thanks. Sometimes we mess up. Sometimes we care about that. And sometimes we don't. In the midst of this life, in the midst of all the things that we do right and wrong, well and badly, we ask that you would be with us, loving us immensely, and calling us to be better people, better versions of ourselves. Give us grace for one another, that when other people mess up, we might forgive them and love them just as you love us. And in all this, we ask that you always are close to us, guiding us well. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay. All right. There we go. In the name of Jesus, amen. At the beginning of every service, we do something that nearly causes us to misspeak. At the beginning of every service, we do something that nearly causes us to speak incorrectly, to speak wrongly, to, to act in a way that God does not act. I'm going to let that hang in the air for a little bit, just so you can try to figure out what it is as we look at the text. Today's text 
especially the gospel text, is something that seems pretty familiar, doesn't it? It seems like a really familiar text. If we were to block it out, if we were to take it in chunks and and movements, it seems like what Jesus has done throughout his ministry, doesn't it? And the, the basic Jesus ministry story goes something like, someone cries out for help, someone is in need, someone is in want, Jesus hears that cry for help. Healing and mercy and love follow. If I were to break it down very basically, that's kind of the story arc of Jesus, isn't it? This one is out of order. And not like out of order as in egregiously against us, but out of order as in the blocks are in the wrong order. Look at verse 47. This woman's sins have been forgiven. Hence, she has shown great love. This woman's sins have been forgiven. Hence, she has shown great love. Now, the the Greek word, hati, is not, it doesn't show causation. So you can't say, this shows the order of things. But you can in the rest of the verse. For those who have been forgiven little, show little love. This story is out of order. Because of that verse, we know that the forgiveness preceded this woman. Because of this, we know that instead of someone cries out, God hears it, love and mercy and justice follow, all of a sudden we have love and justice and mercy. Someone cries out. We now understand love and justice and mercy. Have been there all along and will be there all along. This story is out of order. I believe the text that we have for today, both in the gospel and in the text that we read earlier about uh, Nathan and David, I believe these texts are about what do we do with sin? Now notice I didn't say, what do we do with sinners? What do we do with sin? If I would say, what do we do with sinners? It'd be like the Pharisee did in the story that in the gospel, right? That, that Pharisee looked at the woman and said, oh, she's a sinner. But statistically, that's not helpful. If, I, if we were to try to group all the sinners together, we can't really do it, can we? It's not like we can just collect the ones that are sinning and set them to one side and collect the ones that aren't sinning and set them to another. Statistically, if we were to say what percentage of the population, which is a statistical term, what percentage of the population are sinners, we would just say 100%. And so our population size is the globe, okay? We don't really have to separate each other out. So it's not, what do we do with sinners? It's, what do we do with sin? Because we're all sinners. If you have a lifetime, I'll prove it to you. So the Pharisee, he wants to say, what do we do with sinners? We want to say, what do we do with sin? There's two types of sin that we see in this first story, or in the, in the gospel story, I should say. The first one the one that we're probably drawn the most to is the sin of the woman. We don't know what it is. 
lots of theologians and lots of pastors and lots of teachers and preachers and individuals reading the scripture want to try to figure out what the sin of this woman is. Jesus does not seem to be worried about that. Jesus does not seem to be worried about this particular type of sin. In fact, the sin's not sticking around for very long anyways. Don't worry about what type of sin it was. We only know that this woman was known in society and to Jesus as a sinner. And she weeps at the sight of Jesus. She weeps at the sight of the Lord. It seems to me that throughout life, whenever we see our sin and we weep, whenever we see God and we weep, whenever we see ourselves reflected plainly and we weep and we grovel, we are at least sorry, at the very least sorry for our sin. I would describe this woman's sin as sin that we are truly sorry for. But there's another sin, right? Just as a timeout, doesn't it make you uncomfortable to talk about sin all the time? I mean, man, sometimes yes, sometimes no. Ah. It's personal. So one man, well, so one person's sin, the woman's sin, is sin truly felt sorry for. There's also the Pharisee's sin. And I would describe that as sin that we feel is okay. The, fairy, the Pharisee feels right in doing what he does. He feels just. He feels even called and holy in saying that this woman's a sinner. She should not be around us. This man is not sorry for his sins. If you need another example, look to the first text that we read today. In, in the story that we typically call David, the story of David and Bathsheba. Now this is the second part of the story, actually the middle part of the story, where here we see after David had killed Uriah off by using the army of Israel, that he thinks he's simply going to take Bathsheba without her consent or anybody else's and make her his wife. God does not see much good in this, and so God sends Nathan to him, gives him the same story that we presented to the kids. David can see the sin in that regard, and yet sees no sin in what he has done. Contrasted to the sin that we see in the woman, the sin that we're truly sorry for, there's also sin that we feel right and just in doing, or at least we feel it's okay. It'll be fine. We have both types of sin. There are many, many, many other types of sin, but we have both types of sin. The sin that we're truly sorry for, the sin that we feel is really okay. The story today is what to do with sin. What to do about sin. I believe this text acts as a mirror for us. Where we are sorry for our sin, mercy and forgiveness and love have been there all along. And when we're not sorry for our sin, God and Christ drags it out into the light. There's still forgiveness. There's still mercy. But that does not mean that the sin goes unnoticed. That does not mean that the sin goes without action. It's drug into the light. David's sin was drug into the light. This Pharisee's sin was drug into the light. 
God will not stop from dragging our own sins into the light as well. And I don't know about you, but that's the part that makes me uncomfortable. I'm really okay admitting the sins that I feel sorry for, but those sins that I feel are okay, those sins that I want to keep on doing, man, those are the ones that I cover up real well. There's something that we do at the beginning of our service that almost causes us to speak incorrectly, to act incorrectly with God. We do the order that we think Jesus' ministry always appears. We gather together. I call us into a time of confession. And we confess and we pray that God would forgive us our sins. And that's the order that things typically happen, right? Someone cries out. God hears it. Love and justice and grace and mercy follow. But all of a sudden, those words of salvation say that indeed the story has been written out of order. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, before we asked for forgiveness, before we did the sin, before anything else, as we are, God loved us. And this works in two wonderful and glorious ways. Because when we have the sin that we're truly sorry for, it is a blessing to hear that God loved us first, that God has loved us throughout it, that God will not fail us, will not leave us. And with the sin that we don't feel sorry for, when we hear that grace is there, it makes you feel awful guilty. At least to yourself, that sin gets drug out into the light. And believe me, God has no shortage of Nathans in this world. Today, not to put a lot of pressure on you, but we honor the graduates. <laughs> each of us has a calling. Each of us has a vocation. And whether you know that calling or vacation in your bones or not, at the time of graduation, at that moment of achievement, for us and all of us, whether we know that call of vacation or not within our bones, it is still our right and responsibility to seek God. There will be every opportunity in your daily work you don't have to preach every time that you do something at work. You don't have to quote scripture or pray aloud every time that you're at work. What you have to do is embody as best you know how the love of God in every single action you have. Because as you've studied and as you've been taught, the God who has love and grace and mercy has preceded you in that has been at the places where you will go, where you will work, where you will serve. Not just preparing for you, but preparing for love brought because of who you are, because of the community that has raised you, because of the parents who have been with you. Because God will take every vocation, no matter what it is, and build the kingdom. I am one vocation, and a very tiny one, out of many, many disciples in this room. But know that you're not alone. As you graduate, you become 
and you already are, a member of the great cloud of witnesses, a giant team that simultaneously thanks God for the sin that we're sorry for, being forgiven, and struggles with the sin that we think is okay, but together, by the grace of God, the body of Christ moves in this world through us and through our actions. So as you go, we celebrate with you the work that's being done in your life already. We celebrate with you the fruits of the Spirit that you'll undoubtedly bear and even be surprised by in the way that they show up. We thank God for Dylan and for Eric. Thank God for you all. May God give us grace. May God give us love. And praise be to God for a story and for life that's out of order. Amen.